Amen, amen. As our ushers serve us this morning in receiving the tithe and offering, for those that are, you, that are using the envelopes, I want to just go ahead and just get right into the word today. I'm so excited to be able to preach the word to you. I just wonder if anybody else is excited to be here to hear it. Come on. Amen. Not convinced. <laughs> Good to see you this morning. Hey, I want, before I get into the message, I got to give you a, a word that... I just need you to to hear from my heart today out of Joel chapter 1 verse 14. I want to put this one on the screen so you can see it. You don't need to turn to it. But here's what Joel says. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord, your God, and cry out to the Lord. I want you to see this verse because I want you to know that there are times and there are seasons where it is right to call a holy fast. There is a time that it is right to call a sacred assembly and to summon the people of God to the house of the Lord. And I just want you to know next Sunday is that time in our church. We've been talking about it for the last few weeks and I want you to know next Sunday, March 20th through April 9th, we're going to have 21 days of breakthrough in fasting and prayer. And I want to encourage you right now to plan for it and to be a part of it with us. There's a lot of things we're praying for as a church. This is a season where we need a breakthrough. We need God to give us direction and clarity about the future of our church, and we're praying and believing for that. But that might not be the top thing on your list. You might have a situation in your life where you need God to to, to break through some things. Maybe it's with your job or, or with your marriage, with your family, with your finances, Whatever it might be, I want you to know, starting next weekend, this is a BYOB event. Bring your own breakthrough. The Bible says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. So it's up to you. I mean, the breakthrough's not coming because we skip lunch. The breakthrough's coming because we seek the Father. And so I want to challenge you to be a part of it. Now, here's what we're doing. We want to make this a success. And for some of you, this is going to be the first time you've kind of dipped your toe in the waters of fasting. And and maybe 21 days sounds really daunting. Well, I want to let you know we've got some resources available for you. What I'm encouraging you to do is to participate with us in a Daniel fast. A Daniel fast is not a total food fast. Uh, It's a partial fast. It's abstaining from certain foods, and uh, but it's eating as much as you want of other foods. So if carrot sticks are your thing, you're good. If tasty cakes are your thing, this is going to be a sacrifice, all right? Uh, so here, here's what we're doing. We have on our church website, rightsfulchurch.com slash fast, a ton of resources, hyperlinks that you can go to and find recipes and schedules and meal prep and, and all that stuff. And we want to just give you that resource to help you. Another thing we're going to do is next weekend for every household uh, represented in the church, we have a book that we're going to give next Sunday to you. It's called 21 Days of Breakthrough Prayer. I've read through this half a dozen times. Powerful, short, daily devotionals and prayer prompts to help you every day to get in the word. In addition to that, we've got a uh, volunteers and leaders uh, in ministries in our church that have recorded videos that we're going to be sending out every day for those 21 days, just short devotions 
uh, on our social media platform, on our website, just to encourage you in your daily walk with the Lord as we walk through this together. One more thing we're going to be doing. On the three Wednesday nights that are encompassed in this 21 days of breakthrough, that's March 23rd, and God wants to do in our church. On those three Wednesday night services at the end of this month and the first Wednesday in April, God is going to just break into this place in a powerful way. And I want you to just mark your calendar today. That's why I'm telling you about it, so you're not surprised. I want you to mark your calendar and make it a priority to be here, if at all possible, for those one-hour services at 7 o'clock on Wednesday nights. And here, here's, here's what's going to happen in my mind. I can already see it. I want you to see it. 7.05, Wednesday night, our ushers are going to be back there scrambling to put every chair that we have in the back of that room out here to make room for everyone to be a part of those meetings. Amen. I believe that. Amen. We're going to press in for breakthrough as a church. We'll have kids' ministries, we'll have nursery, we'll have preschool. We're going to try to make it as accessible as possible for you to be a part of those gatherings. And like the prophet Joel said in that verse I read, I want to summon the people of God to the house of the Lord for those Wednesday nights. Now today, as we get ready to get into the message, this is the fifth and final installment in this series in the wilderness. Not because I'm out of material, but because we got to move on to breakthrough. I want to give you a verse, though, that I've been holding on to for quite a few weeks now. I love this verse. It might be familiar to some of you. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 and 19, it says this, the Lord speaking. He says, forget the former things. Now, can we all read this next line together out loud? Do not dwell on the past. Then he says in the next verse, see, I am doing a new thing. How many of you believe God wants to do a new thing in this season? Amen. God wants to do a new thing. In fact, it's possible that God could do a new thing and you could miss it. That's why he goes on to say, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I want to encourage you today to, to lean in to the word because it's very possible that I could preach the word of God, that the spirit could anoint my lips and, and because your ears aren't as anointed as my lips, you can miss what God wants to say to you today. How many of you know we need anointing on the receivers as much as we do on the speakers? So God says, don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. Shall you not perceive it? Now, here's the part I love, in particularly in this season. Where's the new thing that God's doing? He says, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The truth is God is doing a fresh work, church, but he's doing it in the wilderness. Now, if you read this whole chapter in Isaiah 43, what you discover is that God has just revealed himself to them. He introduces himself as the one who brought you out of captivity. He introduces himself as the one who parted the Red Sea, as the one who drew out the chariots and horses of Egypt and their reinforcements and drowned them in the depths of the sea. That's who God says he is. And then he says, don't dwell on the past. He takes them back to the very moment of their salvation. That's what it represents for you and I in the new covenant. This crossing of the Red Sea, this is the moment God saved my life. And then God says, but don't stay there. And here's the danger, church. We can, we can have this incredible moment of salvation, an incredible year of learning how to serve the Lord and obey the Lord. And there are people I know that have been saved for 15 years. But the truth is, they've only been saved for one year, 15 years in a row. Because they've never left the safety and security of the shoreline of their salvation. 
That's a lot of S's, but I hope that made sense to you. In, in other words, I, I'm free. I'm free from the bondage of my old life, but I'm still close enough to be comfortable. And God says, I'm doing a new thing, and I'm doing it in the wilderness. And so God's plan for the church is that we would leave the shoreline of where we first began and that we would follow the leading of the Spirit, the cloud and the fire, into the great unknown of what God wants to do in our life. It's an invitation to a deeper work. I'm doing a new thing in the wilderness. What Israel was doing was what Lot's wife did. You remember the story in Genesis 19 when God saved her out of Sodom. He delivered her, but she kept looking back. She was free in her uh, physical state, but emotionally she was still tied to the bondage of Sodom. And the Bible says in Genesis 19, 26, because she looked back, she turned into a pillar of salt. A statue erected to the glory of those that are unwilling to follow God into the wilderness. And Jesus talked about her in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 17, verse 32, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Now, I don't know what that does for you, but that's powerful to me because Jesus never says, remember Moses. He never says, remember Abraham, remember Joseph, remember Jacob, remember Israel. No, of all the characters in the Old Testament, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Why? Because this is critical that we don't miss this. And he follows up with this explanation in verse 33. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. So hear me today, church. Going into the wilderness this year, what that really means is a willingness to follow God past the place of salvation and thank God that we're saved and we're redeemed we're redeemed and and on one hand we'll never get past the cross we never we never get to deeper theology than redemption but at the same time we're not willing to just stay there in the shallows of Christianity when God has invited us into the wilderness God's new thing in this series God has an exit strategy for the wilderness and I want to give you three ways to exit the wilderness today. Number one, if you're taking notes, we exit the wilderness with power. Go with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 22. Yeah, I realize that life can feel like a roller coaster sometimes. Anybody ever been there? Life can feel like a roller coaster. I mean, you're up, you're down, you're, you're flipped upside down and all around, and circumstances change and emotions change and things outside of your control change. Can I just tell you that while your circumstances are always going to change, God's plan for your spiritual life is never that you would be flipped upside down, forward and backwards and, and all around. That's not God's plan for your spiritual life. In fact, God's plan is that no matter what the season you're in, no matter what the circumstances look like, that you would go from strength to strength, from glory to ever-increasing glory. And I want you to see this in, in Numbers chapter 22 because King Balak, he's the king of Moab, and, and he's looking out into the wilderness, and he sees the Israelites who are out there in the wilderness, and they're actually growing larger. They're increasing. 
in their number and in how much territory they're covering. And the report comes back to King Balak, and the report says this, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass in the field. So King Balak decides, I got, I got to stop this got to stop this horde of Israelites. So he calls on Balaam to come and to curse Israel. Look at it with me in Numbers 22, verse 6. It says, Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Notice that. These people out in the wilderness, they're too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and I'll drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. So so Israel actually grew in strength in the wilderness. And I want to just tell you, that's what I believe God wants to do in the life of our church. We're in a transition season right now. We're, we're looking, we're thanking God for all he's done, but we're looking with expectation to what God's going to do. And I want to tell you, we are not in, in the great delay. God has a purpose in the wilderness, and I believe, and I'm going to say this prophetically, that God is going to grow this church in strength and in power and in number in this season. God wants to do it, but when he does, don't be surprised when the enemy rears his ugly head and wants to curse the work that God is blessing. That's exactly what happened to the Israelites. Balak called on Balaam and he said, I need you to curse these people. And Balak said, well, I'll give him my best shot, but I got to tell you up front, I can only say what God tells me to say. So three times, Balak, the king, pays Balaam to curse Israel, but every time he opens his mouth, nothing but blessing comes out. And the king is just spitting mad, and he's furious, and he keeps paying him more and making bigger sacrifices, but every time Balaam goes to curse the people of God, he ends up blessing the people of God. How many of you are thankful that the enemy can't curse what God has already blessed? Amen. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, that's great for the church, but I didn't, I didn't really come this morning to hear about your priorities. I've got my own. Can I show you what this looks like in the life of an individual? This is God's plan for you to exit the wilderness that you're in, in power. Go with me to Psalm 84. Psalm 84 is a picture of what it looks like for a person to faithfully pursue God in a wilderness. Psalm 84 says, beginning in verse 4, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, that's the valley of weeping. Ever passed through that valley before? The valley of hardship, the valley of pain, the valley of sorrow. He said, as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Now, look at verse 7. It says, and they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. This is a powerful word for somebody today. God is saying through, through the psalmist that when you set your heart on pilgrimage, when you seek God's presence with all of your heart, even the dry places in your life become streams of refreshing. 
He's saying when you seek the Lord with all of your heart, even the valley of weeping becomes a pool of refreshing. God wants to take you through the wilderness, and absolutely, life is not going to be exempt from difficulties, but I'm telling you, his purpose is that you would go from strength to strength, that you would exit the wilderness in power. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this. We looked at this passage a couple weeks ago in Luke chapter 4. Verse 1 of Luke chapter 4 begins by saying that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led into the Jordan by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But then verse 14 kind of gives us the other bookend of that situation. Verses 14, into the wilderness, he turns in the Spirit's power. But the truth is, most of us, we feel like we're living in verse 2 through 13. Like, like that's an awesome moment with God, and, and that's an awesome moment with God. But between there, Jesus was tempted by the devil. Between there, Jesus had to like you're living somewhere in the midst of Luke 2 through 13. Maybe you feel like you're under an attack by the enemy. I want to tell you, God has an exit strategy for your wilderness. And whatever that wilderness might be, it's no excuse to have a stagnant relationship with God. Because you can go into this season in the power of the Spirit, and you can come out of this season in the power of the Spirit. Because God's plan is that you would grow from strength to strength. That your spiritual condition would not be fluid like your circumstances, but that you would continue with steps that are ordered by the Lord to grow from glory to glory, from strength to strength. The second way that God wants you to exit the wilderness, not only with power, but he wants you to exit the wilderness prepared. Open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17, one of the most familiar stories in all the Bible. This is the moment where David fights Goliath. He's about to conquer the undisputed champion from Gath. And when he does, it's going to catapult David's name from a place of obscurity to absolute national acclaim. The Bible says that later that same day after he wins this battle, that the women danced and sang in the streets. Saul, the king, has killed his thousands, but David, this little shepherd boy, has killed his tens of thousands. I want to tell you, before David's name was in lights, he spent most of his life in the wilderness. Look at it with me. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David's three older brothers are serving on the front lines with Saul's army. And so David is sent by his father from the fields to go and take supplies to his brothers and to come back to his father with a report. And so that's what's happening here in verse 20. Of 1 Samuel 17, it says, Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of the shepherds. He loaded up and he set out as Jesse had directed him. That's his father. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up the lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and he shouted his usual defiance. This was the 40th day consecutively of Goliath shouting his usual defiance. But this time it's different. It says, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. But David heard it differently. 
And he begins to ask questions. Hey, what did King Saul say he was going to do for the guy that, that kills Goliath? I, heard, I read something about tax exemption for life, and they get to marry his daughter. And tell me, tell me more about that. So David, he starts asking about, you know, what are the benefits for the guy that goes out and, and, and knocks this, this guy down? And, and all of a sudden, David's brother, Eliab, hears him talking with the other men. Pick it up with me in verse 28. It says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him, and he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. See, here's what's happening in this moment. It happened for David. It happens for us. Eliab is measuring David's potential by the size of his assignment. Who'd you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? But can I tell you, God doesn't measure your potential by the size of your assignment. God measures your potential by the size of your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to just do what he's called you to do. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25, if you'll be faithful with the little things, I'll make you ruler over many. See, some of us, we forget this is just the test. These things we're doing down here, this is just the test for the, for the kings and the kingdoms that will rule with Christ in his kingdom. So David steps up in that day in a big way, but he did it for one reason. He did it because he had stepped up every day in small ways. See, the wilderness was the preparation. Church, you have no idea what kind of spiritual victories are yet to be won through you. So it's so critically important that today we step up in faithfulness, that we allow the experience we're dealing with in this season, in this moment of our life, to prepare us for the greater victories. And that's where David's at. Eliab tells us it's just a few sheep he's responsible for. It's not like he's got a big job. It's a few sheep. But when King Saul meets David, he says, you can't go out and fight this giant. You're just a boy. He's been a fighting man from his youth. But I want you to see what David says to King Saul. Pick it up in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because David says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Can I tell you, church, God's plan for you is to exit the wilderness prepared. David in that moment recognizes that this isn't, this isn't the first time I've ever been outmatched. David begins to look back at his history and he says, the God, the God who rescued me there will rescue me here. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He's building a testimony in the wilderness. He's building a legacy of faithfulness to God so that whenever you stand toe to toe with a with a a battle that just seems impossible. You're going to be able to look back and say, God, God helped me here. I know he can help me there. 
God, save me from this. I know he can save me from that. God conquered this enemy. I know he can conquer that enemy. And so David steps out onto the battlefield with absolute confidence because he was unwilling to let his potential be determined by the size of his assignment. Some of you feel like, David, you're you're serving in obscurity, not doing much. It's just a few sheep. I'm telling you, God sees obedience. God sees your faithfulness. And your impact in the kingdom is not determined or defined by what anybody else says about you. You know, David was, he was overlooked, not just by King Saul or by his oldest brother. He was overlooked by his own father. In fact, if you read the chapter before this, when in 1 Samuel 16, the prophet Samuel comes to Jesse's house. He says, I want you to go and get all your sons and bring them here because the Lord told me, I'm supposed to anoint one of them to be the next king of Israel. And many of you know the story. He calls for his seven sons to line up in front of the prophet. And after he sees every one of them, he says, none of these are the right ones. Don't you have another son? And it's only then that he considers David. He didn't even bother to tell anybody to go get the boy out of the field. He overlooked, maybe it's because when Samuel said, go get your sons, he didn't even think of David that way. It's possible, and some theologians believe that perhaps David was not only an outcast, but an illegitimate child. He didn't even even qualify as a son in Jesse's eyes. Maybe that's what David meant in Psalm 51 and 5. Certainly he was talking about the fact that we all have a sinful nature and that we're sinful at birth, but maybe he was saying something a little more about his own life when he wrote these words. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Truth is, we don't know the details surrounding David's birth or his mother. But I do know that every one of us knows what it's like to walk in the wilderness of rejection, to be overlooked by somebody else, to be discredited for a lack of experience, to be undervalued, to be underappreciated. Words that were spoken about you or maybe the absence of words that should have been spoken to you from a parent. I want to tell you today, your significance is not determined by other people and it's not determined by the size of your assignment. It's determined by your father and your faithfulness to him. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He wants you to come out of the wilderness prepared. Because he has greater victories in mind for you. And I want to tell you, church, the giant slayers of tomorrow are the faithful sheep herders of today. Those people that step onto the battlefields and and, and have the acclaim are the people that walked faithfully in the wilderness when no one was watching. Let me give you the third thing today. God wants you to exit the strategy in power. He wants you to exit prepared, but he also wants you to exit purified. Purified. Turn with me to the minor prophet Hosea. As we're turning there, I will say admittedly, this is a strange book. Hosea is a prophet that God required to live out his prophecy as a sermon illustration. And the illustration was of how the people of Israel had been unfaithful to God. God said they were like a promiscuous woman. So 
So look at the assignment that he gives to Hosea in chapter 1, verse 2. It says, when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Come on, that's a hard assignment, right? I mean, there's some days that I think pastoring the church is hard. Maybe I should just pin this verse on my wall. You know, so anytime I think my job's hard, just think about what God told Hosea to do. Like, go and marry a promiscuous woman and, and have children with her, and, and, and that's going to illustrate how Israel has been towards me. So Hosea does it. She has three children. They're most likely not even his because she kept jumping in and out of the sack with other men. And so God names all three children, names that are indicative of the judgment that he's going to put on the nation of Israel. So Hosea, he obeys the Lord, he does all this, and then God gives him a word for the nation of Israel. Pick it up with me in chapter 2. Verse 4 says, God says to Hosea, I will not show my love to her children because their faith and has conceived them in disgrace. Now, Hosea knows that full well about his own wife, but God is speaking about the nation of Israel. And he goes on to say, she will say, or she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. So he says, here's what the nation of Israel is doing. She's saying, I'm running after those that that meet my physical needs, my food and my water. I'm going to go to those that that offer me protection, my wool and my linen. I'm going to run after those who give me pleasure, my oil and my drink. Or, Or we could define it as cravings and clothing and comfort. Or we could define it the way John did in 1 John chapter 2 when he said, These are the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So God tells Hosea, here's what I'm going to do, because she's running after those things instead of me, her first love. I'm going to block her path. I'm I'm going to make it really hard for her to go back to those other things. Can I tell you, church, this is a picture of the gospel. This is literally what, what God does for us. In his grace and in his love, he hinders our path to go after any other thing to sustain us. And then while we're running after other things, he runs after us. Aren't you glad that grace ran, ran you down? Aren't you glad that God came after you with his love? This is the gospel. In Moses' day, Israel was in physical captivity. In Moses' day, they were in shackles and in bondage in Egypt, and God said, I want to rescue them. I want to redeem them, and he came and he set them free through Moses. Now, in Hosea's day, God is saying that the bondage is not physical, and sometimes this is the more difficult bondage to get free from. The bondage is internal. The bondage is emotional. It's relational. My bride keeps running after all these other things, things that would bring comfort, things that would satisfy earthly cravings, things that would, that would protect them or give them a, a sense of a safety net in this life. They're running after all these other things. I want to come and set them free. So look at what he says in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14. This is... Such a powerful verse. God says, therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. 
this is like the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 2, where Paul says, do you not know that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance? This is what God is doing. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw you out to the wilderness. I'm gonna draw you away from that old life. I'm gonna draw you out to a place away from the distractions, away from the noise, away from the cravings. Sometimes this is what fasting is for us. We're stepping away from all those earthly physical desires and he says, I'm gonna allure you into the wilderness. I'm gonna draw you to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak tenderly to you. Why? So that you would fall in love again with your bridegroom. He goes on in verse 15 and he says, there in the wilderness, I'll give her back her vineyards and I'll make the valley of Achor a door of hope. <clears throat> That's a powerful picture, the valley of Achor. It was the place where God judged Israel because of Achan's sin in Joshua chapter seven. He brought judgment on them. They almost forfeited the promised land in that moment. It's a, a picture of how God wants to deal with the sins that captivate our hearts. And all of a sudden, the, those things that we look back on and they were symbols of our captivity, now they're a doorway of hope. They're a symbol of promise that God who did it there will do it again. He'll do it here. And then he says in the latter part of verse 15, there in the wilderness, she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of Egypt. You know what God is saying right here to Israel? He's saying the same thing that Jesus said in Revelation 2 to the church at Ephesus. He's saying, return to your first love. Return to your first love. You, you've been distracted by all these things. You, you've given yourself over to all these other things. I'm gonna allure you. I'm gonna speak tenderly to you. Look at verse 16. He says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Can I tell you, God doesn't want you to serve him out of some uh, legalistic rule keeping as a master. He wants you to serve him because he is the lover of your soul. Now I'm going to tell you, church, as our musicians come, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for a pure bride. He's coming back for a bride that is dressed in white, not for a church that is prostituting herself to the gods of our culture. Hear me today. The word of the Lord is clear. In Revelation 19, verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Why? For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Here's what God's doing today, church. He's beckoning us. He's alluring us. He's speaking tenderly to us. And he's saying, come into the wilderness. Come away from, like I called Lot and his wife to come away from Sodom. Like I called Moses and the Israelites to, to come out of Egypt. I'm, I'm calling you. Come away from so easily distracted and pulled back into your old lifestyle. And follow my spirit into the unknown. Follow me into the wilderness. It's not a word of judgment. He says, I, I want to speak tenderly to you. As our world is obviously in a wilderness, it's good to know that God is leading his people and that God has an exit strategy. 
God has an exit strategy. I'm gonna tell you, the true church of Jesus Christ is not gonna stay in the wilderness. It may look like it gets bad before it gets better, but the true church of Jesus Christ will come out of the wilderness purified as a bride awaiting her bridegroom. The true church of Jesus Christ will come out prepared, whether it's to expand his kingdom on this earth or to rule and reign in his kingdom in the new earth, will come out prepared. The true church of Jesus Christ will come out in power. Will come out of the wilderness leaning dependently on our Savior. Solomon got a vision of this. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 5, he asked a question. He said, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Can I tell you who that is? That's the church. That's the church of Jesus Christ that's going to come out of the wilderness, leaning on the everlasting arms of Christ. I want to invite you to stand with me all over this room. We're going to close this service in prayer. And I want to put that verse back up on the screen, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, because this is my prayer. This is my prayer today for all of us, that God would allure us into the wilderness. And maybe for some of you, that is so practical, that for you, you're saying, God, lead me into a season of fasting next Sunday. Maybe for some of you, it's it's something you've been running after in your life that you, you need to forsake. You need to You need to allow the Lord in His grace to cut off the path to those old ways. But would you make this your prayer with me today and say, Lord, would you you allure me and lead me into the wilderness and speak tenderly to me? In these closing moments, I just want to invite you to just make room for the Lord. As this worship team just begins to sing, we're going to open these altars and whether you come to the front or stay where you are, would you just take a moment and just seek the Lord, make His presence welcome, lean in to hear His loving voice today.